0: that I started thinking about the, the floods down in Texas. Because they these people have had to suffer a lot. A lot of people have lost their homes. There's like millions of cars that are ruined, it seems like. There's people who have uh, lost animals. There's This morning I was told there's been about 30 people who have been confirmed dead or missing. And that's a tragic thing. But that's not even the worst of it. The worst, in my opinion, is the people who are trying to take advantage of this. Uh, the people who are raising the... the Prices on necessities of this is the fuel that you need to get from A to B. This is the price of water because I know you need it. We're going to jack up the prices. That just, to me, it irritates me. But it gets worse than that. There's uh, people who are now looting and they're breaking into businesses and they're stealing uh, just to get what they want. And then there's people who, who really just irk me of, of, out of anybody. They're, they're going from, they, they went before the flood and they were trying to tell people hey, I'm official, you need to evacuate your home. And then after the people would gather what they could, they would leave, and guess what would happen? That pretend evacuator would go help themselves to whatever they wanted. That person needs to be punished. There's people who were pretending to be police officers, people who were pretending to be contractors, people who were pretending to be uh, any kind of help to these people, but they were going in and trying to take advantage of people in a very terrible situation. And I don't know if that gets your blood boiling, but if I keep thinking about that, it really does make me mad. But I have to remember something. First of all, those people probably don't know Jesus to be able to do something like that. But I also have to remember that those people need Jesus just as much as I do. I grew up in a Christian home. If you were to compare my life and the things that I've done in my whole life, and you compare it to somebody who did that, you'd probably look and say, hey, Josh is a pretty good guy. I mean, I mean, even if you look at now, and here I am preaching, and, and you look at my life and where it's going to go, you think, well, Josh isn't that bad compared to those people. But the way God sees it, and the way God looks at those people, he says, Josh, you're looking at the guy who's impersonating, who's uh, stealing from them, and, you, and, I'm, and I'm looking at you, Josh, and I see the same thing. Because in my Bible, in James 2.10, it says, if you, if you commit one sin, you're guilty of breaking Everything. And today we're going to look at, there's lots of different little applications we're going to get out of this message, ranging from if you're the one person in the world who thinks I cannot get saved, it's not too late, to the person who says, I'm too good, I don't need Jesus. You look at my life compared to everybody else, I'm doing okay, to the person who says, someone else needs Jesus more than I need Jesus. There's lots we're going to be looking at, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, verses 35 to 50. So if you take out your Bibles and follow along, I would really appreciate that. Because this is not what I'm trying to say. This is what God wants to say through me on this smoky Sunday morning. And it starts out with a Pharisee, and it it starts out with a woman who is a known sinner. And this Pharisee has a big party at his house, and he invites Jesus over. But there's also an uninvited guest that shows up. So Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 39 is where we're going to start. It says now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a simple life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, and she kissed them and poured perfume on them. Verse thirty-nine. Then the Pharisee who had invited him saw this. He said to himself. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who was touching him, and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. I want to stop again and ask for God's blessing on this word. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that your grace is new every morning. Your mercies are new every morning, that your grace does not end. God, that you have not given up on us, whether we have sinned little or whether we have sinned big. God, that you want us to have this right relationship with you, and that you just continually forgive us if we ask you to. Again, God, I just really ask that you would speak through me, that your word would be clear. No matter what I say, God, that everybody would hear what they need to hear from you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this passage starts out. There's a guy named Simon. You find out in verse 40, the Pharisee's name was Simon, and he invites Jesus to his house. Now, the Bible doesn't say specifically why he invited Jesus. Maybe it was because... Pharisees didn't really like Jesus. Jesus was always telling the Pharisees that your righteousness is not good enough. So maybe this guy was trying to trap Jesus and and, and to catch him in some kind of sin so that they could arrest him and they could finally get rid of this guy. Maybe because he was a celebrity seeker. You know, it's a really big deal to have somebody famous in your house, especially someone like a rabbi, and the whole world is going to know. But it could also be because... um, he, he just doesn't, he doesn't trust this guy. He doesn't believe the message that he has. Maybe he just wants to look good. Pharisees like to look good. That's part of what their, their makeup was. They strove day after day to follow all the rituals, all the rules, so that they look good to everybody else. There was nothing in this life that was obvious, obviously bad. And he's trying to show the whole world. Because last week, we looked when Jesus talked to the Pharisees, and he kind of compared them to a bunch of whiny kids, who are complaining because Jesus was not doing what he wanted them to do. And so maybe he's like trying to change his image. He's trying to prove to everybody, no, I'm a good guy. Come to my house and see. So he invites him over. So whatever reason he has for inviting Jesus over, it's not a positive one. It's not because he loves Jesus. It's not because he says, I need Jesus. And because you have this message of salvation that I want to accept. And it it doesn't take long to figure out that that's true. Because there was three things that were pretty customary for somebody to do if you had a guest at your house. The first was you'd wash their feet. Because back then, they didn't wear shoes like this. They didn't wear cowboy boots. They wore sandals. And you'd have like a leather strap across the top of your foot. They didn't have concrete. They didn't have asphalt. All you did was walk down the road to get from A to B, so your feet got dirty. And they didn't smell good, and they weren't comfortable. So when you come to your guest's house, they would wash your feet, or they would have the servant <laughs> wash your feet, or they say, here, here's a tub of cool water. You can wash your own feet. But the guy didn't do that. The second thing they would do, they would give them a kiss of greeting. It, was, it wasn't mwah 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 kind of thing, but they would put your hand on their shoulder, and they would give a kiss. I'm assuming on the cheek. I didn't do that much research. I just assumed on the cheek, but it was a right of fellowship. It says, hey, we are in agreement in the faith. Welcome, and they would do this when you came and when you left. But the Pharisee didn't do that. The third thing they would do is they put a little olive oil or a little bit of perfume on top of the head. Why, I don't know. That was part of their custom, but this Pharisee did not do any of those three things. The way way it worked when the Pharisee had a dinner for somebody famous, they left the doors open. And they would have anybody who wants to come in to come and stand on the outsides of the room. But everybody who was invited got to sit and recline at the table, and they got to eat. And the woman takes full advantage of the simple fact that the door is going to be open. And I imagine she, she knows what her life is like. She knows what it's like since she knows the Lord, and she knows what everybody else thinks. And she's probably at home at, at this moment trying to get look the best that she can. Whatever dress, whatever outfit, or make her hair perfect, she wants to go see Jesus. She's kind of excited, but she's also afraid because she knows who's there. She knows when she walks to the door, people are going to look at her, and they're they're going to start whispering, and they're going to stop talking, and it's just going to be awkward. But she says, "I'm going anyway." So I picture her. She gets as ready as quick as she can, and she runs to the house. And she gets to the doorway. And she stops, takes a deep breath, and she walks into the. Who just stop talking? Who start staring at her? She hears conversations die down. She sees. People are just quiet, but she she doesn't care, and she, she sees Jesus, and she makes a beeline to Jesus, and she comes, and she stands behind Jesus. Now, when people ate their meal, like when we have breakfast, or we guys go home and have dinner, or supper, or lunch, whatever you want to call it, we sit in a chair, right? Everybody sits in a chair, and we sit at the table, and we eat like this. We sit in a chair, and eat like this, but that's not, they didn't have that kind of situation. What you would do is you would lay on the floor, and I'm going to hopefully not thank you, I'm going to assume the table is this direction. Okay? You guys are on the outside wall. You guys are on the outside wall watching all this. Okay, so you guys are on the outside wall, and you're watching this. Well, what you would do is you would lay, you'd be reclining on the floor, kind of like this, on your, this is kind of comfortable. I guess I could finish from here. But you would lay with your left arm, and you would eat with your right arm. Your feet would be facing away from the table, because that's the, the not-so-nice part. Well, this woman came when she stood behind Jesus, and she stood, like, right here. So that way she could, when she was crying... The tears could fall on her feet. Because I, I had to look that up. I'm trying to think, was Jesus standing, or how could how could she stand behind him and tears fall on his feet? But if you're laying down, she went to the backside of him. I mean, kind of like in the most humble position she could go was the backside of Jesus' feet, and she's just standing there, and she's overwhelmed by the emotions of what Jesus did for her and of, of the guilt and the weight that she's feeling. She just starts to sob, and she starts to cry. And as she's crying, the tears are falling to the floor. Everybody's just staring at her. They fall to the floor, and they start to land on Jesus' dirty feet. And as water gets on your dirty feet or on something in your hands, it starts to kind of spread around, and she realizes, I'm making kind of a muddy mess, and she's like, I have nothing to do. I can't clean, up this, clean this off. And so she, she lets down her hair, and she goes to her knees, and she starts using her hair to dry Jesus' feet. Now for her to do that, that was a very big deal because uh, women, if you were not married, I mean, I think every woman, they're supposed to keep their hair done up. If you took off, if you let your long hair down, which in this culture is completely fine, so if you have long hair, it's great. But if you, if you let your long hair down, that, according to Jewish law, not in the Bible, you could be divorced from your husband because you did that. It was that big a deal. It was as, it was as if going topless out in front of everybody. It was just something that intimate. It was something that was not supposed to be done. And this woman says, "I don't care what everybody thinks. I don't care what it costs me." And she starts wiping his feet, and then she starts kissing his feet. It wasn't like the like I'm eating a lemon, trying to kiss, or your great aunt comes over, the one that always squeezes you in the cheek, and then she's, you have to kiss her like oh, I got to kiss my little sister, that kind of thing. This was it was it wasn't like the opposite extreme of romantic, but she was it was she was very she was passionate. She cared about Jesus enough to kiss his feet. She was that much in debt. She appreciated what he did that much. And then she says, you know, she has this little jar, an alabaster jar. And it's, it's not a big jar, but whatever you stuck inside the alabaster jar meant that it was very expensive. It was, you put your best materials in this little jar. This wasn't just, hey, I'm going to throw some olive oil in this. This is where you put your best, best perfume. And she took some of that, she peeled off the, the wax seal, and she started pouring it on Jesus' feet. You know, when water hits your skin, it just kind of rolls off. And so, I'm imagining she's rubbing it all in to make his feet smell good. And she does all this with everybody watching. She doesn't look up and wonder what's everybody thinking. She's just focused only on Jesus, and that's all she cares about. Well, Simon, he's in a, he's he's thinking to himself. In the King James, it says that he's he's uh, he's speaking within him, with items with inside of himself. Uh, he's thinking some things, and he's thinking, if you were a prophet, you wouldn't be allowing this to happen. Because a real prophet would would say, get away from me. I don't care what you're doing. Get your lips off of me. Get away from me. You are an unclean woman. You would have known what kind of woman this she she is. That she is a sinful woman. Which is true. She was a sinful woman. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. She was a simple woman, but so was Simon. But all he could focus on was what she was doing, and not himself. And and Simon is very self-righteous. He has this look of disgust. I imagine he's just like a little kid who doesn't like the food he's going to eat. He doesn't hide it. He just lets it show, like, ick, I don't like this. And it's all over his face. And he wouldn't even associate with her. And then Jesus, he knows kind of what's going on, what he's thinking. And he says, I'm going to tell you this parable, Simon. And we'll read that in verses 40 to 43. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Not thinking like, teacher, like, I'm really excited to hear what you're going to tell me. Not like I believe that your words matter. But you call yourself a teacher. Okay, teacher, what are you going to tell me? I already don't believe you're a prophet. I already don't believe in you. What are you going to tell me? He said, two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him five hundred denarii and the other fifty. Neither of them had the money to pay him back so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? So you picture a very simple story. You have a money lender. He has lots of money. His, his, his business is lending money to people, charging a little bit of interest and he would collect the interest and that's how he made his money. Well he lent money to two different people and I imagine he didn't start out with, here's a 50 denarii loan and here's a 500 denarii loan. I imagine it was something that was slowly built over time. Because a denarii was about a day's wages. Now, for us, it's hard to understand because I make more than what I need for a day to live off of. And I imagine everybody here does too. But these guys would make just enough to make to live for that day. You'd probably get your paycheck and you go straight to the market so you could buy the food that you needed to survive for that day the next day, you know, for a whole day's work. And, they, and they, they, can't, they can't pay this back. Maybe they were sick and they didn't get to work. Maybe there was no work. Maybe they had an accident. But somehow, over time, they have accrued this debt. Now, I want, you, I want to paint this picture. I want you to, to think about what does a money lender normally do in today's world? If you owe a debt to somebody, normally they, and you say, I can't pay, they crank up the heat. They say, they start getting the collection people to call you, They start making threats. Your wages start to be garnished. If you borrow money from wrong people, they start taking it out of you physically because they don't care. They just want their money's worth. But this money lender does not do that. He does something very interesting. He he says, he doesn't say, I'm going to give you more time. He does not say, hey, when you can pay me back, you just do your best to pay me back. He doesn't make threats. He doesn't chastise them or yell at them for how they spent his money. All he does is that he forgives the debt. He for, he says, "I forgive it. You can't pay it. I'm going to cancel your debt." And this money lender, it's great that he did that. Whether it's 50 or whether it's 500, this is money that he does not. He's not going to get back. And just because he forgives that debt, does that mean that money just magically appears into his account? No, that money is still missing. It's still not there. It becomes his debt. He has to eat that day, and it becomes something that he's got to reconcile. He's got to make more money or something to add to that account to make it balance because it does not balance. Now, the fifty denarii, okay, the, the people that this parable represents, that the, the moneylender represents God, the denarii people represent us. There's this there's fifty denarii guy, which is obviously Simon, who compared to this big money woman has not done anything very bad. Compare the two. It's easy to see that Simon's the good guy. He's the one who's trying to be religious, at least. He's trying to avoid the appearance of evil. This woman is brazen, says... I mean, her past lifestyle said, I don't care what anybody thinks. I mean, commentaries agree that she was a woman of the night. And that's enough, probably, to paint the, enough of a picture that she was someone who it was very obvious to everybody else what she did and what kind of lifestyle that she led. And compared to Simon... She looks really bad, but Simon is far from perfect. He has his own issues. He's judgmental. He looks at looks at her and says, "She's a sinner. She's not worthy of Jesus. She she doesn't need worthy. She's not worthy of forgiveness." He's judge. He's judgmental. Uh, he's condemning. He's prideful. He's comparing himself with her and says, "Hey, I come out on top. I am okay. I am a good person." But you don't even know what kind of. Sins he might have hiding in his closet. On the outside, he looked really good, but he's got a mind up here that nobody else knows. Maybe he struggled with lustful thoughts all the time. Maybe he he was somebody who, when he was behind closed doors, he he had anger problems with his kids. Maybe he beat his wife. Maybe he slandered everybody around the countryside who wasn't as good as him. But he was he was far from perfect. Those sins are sins. Just the same as this very obvious sin that this woman committed. The woman, like I said, she committed the big sins. The very obvious sins. The sins that you could not hide that everybody in the town knew. And it's worth 500 It's a great big sin. But Jesus was willing to forgive her sins because she asked for it. Because she's willing to admit that she was a sinner in need of a savior. Now God, he represents the money lender. Not because we have borrowed money from him, but because God created us. And because we owe everything to God because he created us and for everything that he's done for us. And a lot of people don't want to get to that point of realizing they need Jesus. Now, God could say, hey, I just forgive your sins. I mean, he does forgive our sins. But there's still a debt that has to be paid. God's, God's not going to eat our sin. It, the, the money lender could do that. He could replace that. But God says, there's a debt here that has to be paid. And Jesus says, you know what? I'll pay that debt. I'll come to this earth. I'll die on the cross. So that there's an opportunity for all these people to have eternal life. But it's, and, and the debt's been paid. But it's not charged to your account. We have 50-degree we sinners and 500-degree sinners. The, the, the money lender says, this has to be paid for. But until we ask Jesus to be our Savior and to forgive our sins, We're still trying to pay off that debt ourselves, and we cannot do that. Jesus paid that price so that we could have our debts forgiven, but we have to ask him. It doesn't matter if you're eight years old, and you have not experienced what the world has to give you, or it doesn't matter if you're almost 100, and you've done everything wrong possible. God was willing to forgive your debt. I'll take just a few moments to to, to point out a few uh, things about this passage that I want to make very clear if you're the person who's who says man you know what I really have screwed up my sins are obvious to everybody everybody knows what I've done and it it feels like you have the weight of the world on your shoulders and you say I've just I cannot be forgiven that's not true as long as you're living and you're breathing if you ask Jesus to be your Savior he will save you it does not matter what you've done the little sins or the big sins is all the same in God's eyes and that we all need it paid for. We all need a savior. Whether it's whether you've had an abortion, whether you've had premarital sex, whether you've lived the life of the party, and it's very obvious to everybody, we are all sinners in need of a savior. And the thing that Jesus told a woman who was caught in adultery, because I believe this woman got saved right here, but this other woman who was caught in adultery, Jesus said, go and sin no more. He says, that's what you need to do. You're saved But go and sin no more. Just stop doing what you've been doing from this point on. So first of all, if you think you're so bad that you can't be saved, you're wrong. Second is don't be like Simon. Simon was a guy who says, I don't need Jesus. My goodness compared to her, I'm a good guy. I look good. So I don't need Jesus. And that's not true either. If we've committed one, we've committed them all. And we are guilty before God. So nobody is good enough to not need Jesus. Something else I'd like to, to point out, too, is we could be like a Christian Simon. We could be the, like the, the, the Simon who says, I look at my life. You know, I almost shared my testimony, and it's a very boring testimony. You would think I was just a perfect kid by what you could see, because I never drank. I didn't smoke. The only girl I ever kissed was Leslie shortly before we got married. I, I never got speeding. T- I've never had so much as a parking ticket, okay? And it's not because I'm such a good guy. It's because what God has saved me from. But my life compared to this woman, I'm going to look like an angel. But I need Jesus just as much as she did, just as much as these people did in Texas who are ripping each other off because they are sinners in need of a Savior. It does not matter. But it's easy for someone like me to look and say, yeah, I'm glad that person got saved, but they needed Jesus more because they did the big sins. And that's simply not true. I need Jesus as much as you need Jesus, as much as the next person needs Jesus. And there's no room for pride in thinking like, man, I'm a good guy and he didn't really save me from much because he saved me from exactly the same amount as he has saved somebody else. Without Jesus, the little sinner has as much chance of getting into heaven as the big sinner. That's no chance at all. We are all in the same boat. And I would like to encourage you, if you find yourself to be that person who says, I'm not really that bad, even though I am saved and I look around at the rest of the world, I'm not that bad. I would encourage you to take this gentle rebuke that I'm trying to give right now, as before you get a, a stronger rebuke when you get up to heaven, when God says, "Look, buddy, you really did deserve this much, because what you've done compares to what they've done." So I'll take your gentle rebuke now, instead of the big rebuke later. So 43 to uh, 50. Let's read the rest of the passage. And this is this is part of my favorite part of this passage, and I think I think it's it's just it's an amazing. Amazing part, and I hope you can get out of it what I think is in it. Um, it says, Simon replied, I suppose, oh, how about verse 42, the second half? Uh, Jesus asked Simon, which of them is going to love him more? Obviously, it's going to be the person who's had the bigger debt forgiven. If I owe you $500, and my wife only owes you 50 and you forgive both our debts, who's going to appreciate it more? Obviously, me, because I had a bigger debt I could not pay. Both of us could not pay it. But I had a bigger debt, so I'm going to appreciate it more. And Simon, he got the right answer. He says, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. And Jesus says, you have judged correctly. And then Jesus said, is what Jesus said. Verse 44, then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wiped them with her, but her but she wet my feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but from the time I entered this, this house, this woman has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Verse 48, Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Verse 50 says, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So the first part of that, this woman has been doing a very public demonstration of her love for Jesus. Because she really appreciates what Jesus has done. And I would encourage you, if you really appreciate what Jesus has done for you, make it known. Make it public. Don't be hiding our faith because we're embarrassed. It's a, it's a free gift that Jesus gave us that we are going to appreciate for all eternity. And this woman knows that. Today, she is up in heaven, excited with Jesus once again. She's not kissing his feet. She's not crying at his feet. She's not pouring oil on his, his feet. She's excited, and she's singing, and she's worshiping God. And she really appreciates what he's done. And he says, therefore, I tell you, her many sins are forgiven. Now, he's not saying because you did all these things that your sins are forgiven. But he's saying, I can see the proof. You're doing all these things in front of everybody else. And you, you don't care. I see the proof that you, your sins are forgiven because there is a difference. There's something in your life that is different. And there should be a difference in our life because our sins have been forgiven. Maybe it's going to be a little difference because we were the good Christian kid who never did anything wrong. Or we were the woman who, who was, uh, this woman here who's done the major things. But there should be a difference in our life based off of the forgiveness that Jesus has given us. And then in verse 48 Jesus said to her your sins are forgiven. Now her sins have already been forgiven. She did she's already at some point in the past heard the message of salvation, decided I'm going to trust Jesus as my savior and she's going to take it and she's going to hang on to it for dear life. And when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, the way I read this is he's reaffirming to her, you know what? I know what you have done. I know everybody looks at you and they say, "Man, you're flawed. You've committed these sins, and they are not going to forgive you. But I, I just want to encourage you, look, your sins are forgiven. I forgave them. I'm going to die on the cross and pay for those sins, and that's going to be wiped clean. And First 1 John 1, 1.9 says, if you confess your sins, he will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And he, so he's just affirming, yes, your sins are forgiven. You don't have to feel bad about that anymore. Go and sin no more. And then we find out the way that she was made right. It was based off of her faith. It was based off her trust in Jesus for her salvation alone. Not, she was willing to admit to Jesus, this is what I've done. She's working on changing things in her life that she should not do. And she says, I'm going to put my trust in Jesus for my salvation and nothing else. And so if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you look and you say, man, there's just so much that I have done. It does not matter. Jesus is willing to forgive us. If you say, hey, I don't need Jesus because really I'm a good guy, and that's a big pill to swallow. It's a tough pill to swallow, especially when you can compare. You know everybody else looking at the two of you is going to say, yeah, Josh is a better guy. Don't believe the lie that you are good enough. And if you look and you say, you know what, someone else needs Jesus more than I did, so I'm better off than they are, even though they're another brother or sister in Christ. Don't allow that pride to infiltrate your heart and think that you are worth something more to Jesus than somebody else. And when you look outside this outside world, you you hear about the stories of the people in Houston, you look at the neighbors, those people who came to your mind at the very start that you thought, man, that person needs Jesus, and you think there's no way that person's going to come to know Jesus. Because I know people, too, that it's easy to think, no way, and they're, they're just not worthy don't buy the lie that they cannot get saved. Those people need Jesus, and it is our job to make sure that they know that message of salvation. Jesus said, freely I gave to you. You guys got to freely give and share the message with other people. We have the, the opportunity to be God-righteous or to be self-righteous. And I would encourage you to be God-righteous because that to take it to heaven and share that with other people. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you, God, for your mercy. I thank you for your redemption, that you paid the price for our sins, God, that you didn't make us pay what we deserve to pay. God, I deserve so much worse than what I get even in this life, but you love me anyway, and I thank you for that. I just pray that you'd help me to appreciate your salvation more and more, and I pray that you'd help me to share that salvation with other people because, God, you came to save, pay for the sins of the whole world, not just me. And I just pray that you'd help me have the boldness to share your faith with other people. And I pray that they would have the willingness to, to be saved as well. And God, I pray that if there's anybody in here that's carrying around guilt, God, that they would confess that sin to you and they would have your, your forgiveness, that their spirits could be lifted and they could be free from the weight of the bondage of what they've done. And that they would go and sin no more. And I just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.